0: This episode of No Wrong Answers is brought to you by the Kauffman Foundation, which invests in educators and lifts up the Kansas City region and is dedicated to learning together to improve educational and economic success. Learn more at Kauffman.org. Well, I won't mince words. This is a heavy episode. First, we discuss how to talk to students in the wake of tragedy following the Las Vegas massacre, Then we take on white supremacy in schools. Sure, giving your kids an assignment in which they pretend they're a KKK member is bad, but our teachers say that's not the worst part. We do end with kids these days, so look forward to that on this episode of the No Wrong Answers podcast. Welcome to No Wrong Answers, the weekly podcast that gives you a teacherly take on the world. I'm your host, Kyle Palmer. I'm a former teacher turned public radio journalist, and I'm joined as always, by a group of hardworking teachers who are ready to talk. So let's introduce them. A new face at the table for the first time, Kirsten Brown, what do you do?
1: Hi, I am the principal at Crossroads High School.
0: So glad that you could join us here in Kansas City. Jason Staliga, I've seen you before. Welcome back. Thank you. you, What do you teach? I teach secondary science. And David Pursley, welcome back as well. Thanks.
2: What do you teach? High school math and computer
0: science. All three of them are educators, high school educators, we should say, of public schools or public charter schools in the Kansas City metro area. Well, let's get to it. At the top of last week's episode, we noted how we were thinking about and wrestling with the tragic events that occurred in Las Vegas. Of course, we all know, by now, a gunman opened fire from a hotel room on the 32nd floor of the Mandalay Bay Hotel and Casino onto a crowd gathered for a country music festival. 58 people were killed, nearly 500 wounded, and the gunman was found dead by police in the hotel room, apparently having killed himself. Amid an arsenal of more than 20 weapons, many of them Legal semi-automatic weapons that have been modified to shoot hundreds of rounds per minute, like fully automatic weapons. Ed Week reports that of the 58 people killed at the concert, eight were teachers or school staff or personnel, including a kindergarten teacher from California and a wrestling coach from Pennsylvania. So I'm not sure how this event affected your work as teachers and educators, if at all this week. You may have felt compelled to bring it up and have your kids talk about it and ask questions, or you may have felt the opposite. You wanted to avoid the topic at all costs and hoped your kids did not bring it up. Either way, we must acknowledge that Las Vegas is just the latest in a long line of national and global tragedies, really, in recent years that have been so prominent and so horrible, they often demand some kind of... Pedagogical response, or at least a discussion about what, if any, response should be made in schools and in classrooms. Two years ago, for instance, after the terrorist attacks in Paris that left some 130 people dead, Andrew Nyblock, a principal at a school in Greenwich, Connecticut, wrote on Ed Week about how teachers might address that tragedy for their students. He wrote, quote, The unknown is scary. Adults, teachers, and parents all too often push it aside and try to focus on the familiar. Children greet the unknown with an avalanche of questions. They are learners in every circumstance. Our ongoing challenge as educators, how do we, the adults, honor their questions, curate the information and combat terror and cultural ignorance through education? In quote. More than 4 years ago, after the Boston Marathon bombing killed 3 and injured hundreds, Boston Public Schools in the immediate aftermath sent out a list of tips to teachers that included the following suggestions: One, remain calm and reassuring. Two, acknowledge and normalize students' feelings. Three, take care of your own needs. Four, turn off the monitor or television. Five, discuss events in age-appropriate terms. And six, stick to the facts. So let's bring it back to this present national moment post Las Vegas. Um, And Kirsten, I'm actually going to start with you because you actually emailed me this week. You're, You're the principal of a public charter school here in Kansas City. And you actually emailed me and said basically like we need to talk about this subject because my staff and I talked about it this week about how to strategize how we were going to address it with our kids. So I just want to throw it to you right away. Like how did it go and what did you eventually decide that you were going to do?
1: Sure. So we have the time in the day called crew time where students can get together with a teacher that they're you know pretty close with in a small group and just talk about how they're feeling, how their day is going. But we structured that time to focus on the events in Las Vegas. And we watched videos about the event. And then we opened the floor for students to talk about how they're feeling. And we had some guided questions provided so that students can grapple with those, you know, the feelings that they had about this issue. And what were some
0: of the things that students said or questions that they had?
1: Sure. So, you know, after the the conversation, the staff came together, and we talked about some of the responses, and it seemed as if many of our students were a bit desensitized. They knew that what had occurred was really bad, but they couldn't really understand the severity of it um, because some of them said that, you know, these things happen so much where it's hard for them to grasp, like, this is actually not okay, and this is something that... um, you know, is is really serious. I don't uh, know if they understood the gravity of the.
0: Like what mass, happened. I mean, mass shootings happen all the time. Terror attacks happen all, all the time. All those things, yes. Uh, Jason, David, to uh, bring you into this conversation, I guess what was it like at your schools or with your students? Is what Kirsten is saying um, echo any of your experiences in the last week?
3: Oh, I wanted to just touch on a point about uh, the desensitation if that's a word. Uh, Desensitization? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, thank you, Kyle. <laughs> uh, from our kids. I, th- I think out there there's a, a misconception among listeners, maybe, and not due to their own fault personally, is that they don't realize how how much gun violence is part of our kids' lives. Um, shootings is a natural element in many ways. If you talk to, uh, I, I'm, I almost want to choke up here, but if you talk to our kids' Uh, where I teach, they would probably know someone who has been a victim of gun violence. So when, when an, an, an attack like this happens, which it, it happens more and more, and it's becoming more and more commonplace, um, I applaud Kirsten for bringing that in because I'm fairly, from our conversation, across is, the, is a newer school, and so you're, you're really kind of building on that curriculum and building on that, that type of dialogue and trying to create a culture, and it's, it's really it's good to see um, and we've done that in our own high school, too, from, but we've done that before from other mass shootings or from police violence. And so we've, we've had those conversations revolved around it. And so to say that this Las Vegas, I hate to even say it, and it was never mentioned once, not by any kid or mm. by any instructor in my school. Yeah. And you, I mean, and that bothers you. Well, it bothers me because we've become desensitized to it. Yeah. I, I, it just it, it crushes me because I know, I know that my kids have been afflicted by it. And then I just know that as a society, you know, I don't want to say it's a norm because that's really wrong to say, but I feel like it's we're coming to a point in in America and across the globe that because it happened so much that it, the shock that Columbine was to America and to us as a community, that, that shock just doesn't happen anymore. Mm. And it just it, it saddens me. David, what are you thinking? I guess um, from the
2: perspective of, of having conversations with students, I'm I'm grappling with whether or not I think people's aversion to having those conversations comes from a place of desensitization or fear, right? As in, like, speaking to it gives it power almost. And it's weird because I don't know if acting like it's not an issue is healthy. Um, I think there is importance in having a conversation about it, but also doing it in a way that is constructive and creates room for healing. And I think that's the really, really hard part, especially when it becomes so common. So I don't even... I I can imagine a big part of it is desensitization, but I also think a big part of it is fear, and I think that's sometimes what drives, I think, the lack of a unified front on our staff is just the fear of, like, being like, I don't know how to have these conversations with my kids, and
0: I'm scared to talk Mm -hmm. about it. So, uh, Kirsten, on Monday morning, um, you know, as the, the shooting, honestly, the aftermath of it was still going on. Um, You walked in, like, so what happened? Like, what was the, what was kind of the conversation that led to having this school meeting? And we should say, I mean, your school is fairly small. So, like, getting all the students together, and you said you do this weekly anyway, is is maybe an easier task than at a larger school. But still, like, what was the conversation like?
1: With our crew time, when we meet in these small groups, we have a crew lead. And we have an amazing teacher who is incredibly responsive to what our kids need and is not afraid to scrap plans you know, right away to be responsive, like for an event like this, for example. Um, so she created a, a lesson plan essentially that she passed around the staff so that we could be really. Um, she she took the time to make sure that the the questions were really well formed and really provided space for students to gain an understanding of like the reality.
0: And again, we're saying like this must have happened within like an hour yeah, or two. Yeah, it definitely did. <laughs> I this was happening that the day, morning. Yeah, that Monday. And so, I guess, what is your having done that? Um, what did the students say? Like, what were they? What were they talking about? What do they want to know more about? Mm-hmm. Because I think, as as I read in preparation for this, that teachers, especially like let's say in Boston four years ago after the marathon bombing, they they maybe didn't want to talk about it, but um, you know, expressed a desire to 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 at least address it with their students and then discover that their students were very curious about it um, and were asking questions, even if those questions were uh, misguided or, or based on maybe wrong details or facts. So what were your... What were your students asking? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so some just wanted to know more about what happened, um, trying to get a understanding of the severity of the situation, like how many people were injured, how many people died as a result. Um, and some students were just confused as to why this conversation was happening, why we needed to take time mm. to engage in that conversation. And
0: what did you – so that's interesting. So what did, what did you say to those students?
1: Yeah, so I think the teachers really just um, would talk about – you know, what what was happening in the weight of it and how we need to talk about important things that as our, you know to our nation so that we can um, really move forward and figure out ways to prevent these things. And um, I think one thing that the teachers do really well is they want students to think about the future that they want to create. Um, and so I know that they had conversations around, like, you guys are the generation that, that can change this reality.
0: Um, I guess to the whole table, speaking more generally... Um, Getting back to the comments made, which I read earlier in my introduction uh, from a a principal from Connecticut, Andrew Nyblock, in the wake of the uh, Paris attacks last year, um, saying uh, in part that we need to um, honor questions that students have, um, how do you do that in situations of... Of tragedy, how do you honor students' questions? How do you give them a, a voice or a space, um, even if you know Jason and David? You said in this particular situation, maybe it didn't happen in the, in the way that you would have liked. Yeah. Um, but more generally, or in past situations um, when tragedy is on students' minds, how do you how do you honor those questions appropriately? The the question I'm
2: um, kind of piggyback back off a um Kirsten. The question, the question I found my students asking the most was like, "Why would someone do something like this?" And that's. And, and the answer to that <laughs> um, draw so much speculation, but you know the general answer that I would try to come up with is those people were very dissatisfied with the world and their place in it, um, and trying to examine some of the things that may have happened to that person, you know, right? Like in an attempt to still humanize them, um, you know, not to obviously condone the acts in any way, but it's just still like what led to someone getting to that point to even consider doing something like that? And that was that was a question on a lot of my synthesis, just like why.
0: This past week they had that question. Yeah.
2: Yeah. In the in the classes I had those conversations with, that was the question that just came up the most, like why would someone do such a thing? And, you know, um I tried to talk about depression and some of the common links that, you know, people in the past have had to doing incidents like that is a way of like well, you know, maybe they had a really have time and didn't have anybody to lean on. And, you know, just, uh, again, trying to find a balance between understanding ways that person may have been let down but in no way, obviously, condoning
3: or enabling their actions. I think there's, there's definitely an emotional aspect to these conversations. And when you, when you do have a conversation in the room and someone does bring up a question, um, we didn't have one over mass shooting, but we had something over DACA. And so you 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 look at the room and you say okay how long have these kids known each other what is the relationships to each other and then do you feel like you could have you know a real conversation that will be able to uh respect all sides that happen or, or, or or at least respect the knowledge that those kids possess and like in my classroom it's pretty easy to throw my desks up against the wall and make a circle of chairs and i've done that before and so you put kids in a circle uh, not that they're, so that they're facing each other, so that they can actually see each other and see their expressions, see their voices, hear, hear the inflection um, as they speak. Um, so when you do talk about issues, whether it is gun violence or whether it's other issues that, that do affect our class, um, for me, it's, a, it's always important that if a question is pertinent to what's happening in society and that question is pertinent enough to how they're going to develop as a youth or a young, a young adult or if they're going to go into adulthood, that there's never 10 minutes that you can't take out of your day. You know, she talked about using her crew time. We have advisory time, so we have a group, group of advisory kids that we can talk issues with. But just in the classroom, knowing that it's, it's that important, that it's on their minds, it's, 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 it's on the surface, it's the elephant in the room, sometimes you have to address it. And as far as the factual piece goes, you you always preface it. At least I always do with you know we have to make sure we understand the whole story, and and it's really important. I, this 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 will date me back, but this goes all the way back to like O.J. Simpson because that was really that's what happened mm-hmm. during my eighth and ninth grade years of of schooling. Was you know I just remember that and just the the amount of TV coverage and I mean go ESPN for their for their documentary, but but you know just really taking us back into that time period because that was. I don't know, for me, that was probably the first real case that had national n- news that brought in a whole community of people into, to watch um, what was deemed a spectacle but was really you know, a, a tragedy because of the loss of the lives that were involved.
2: Um, to follow up on that, I feel like also another question that my students had, um, and is an interesting parallel, because I feel like what came out of that was two completely different stories depending on what, side you came on and the way you examine the media and for a lot of my students the other question they had is like 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 and they didn't they didn't find the right words to explain it but they like basically said like it seems like everything that the media is putting out is made to sympathize for this person you know make him seem like a tragic character which is okay but again given their familiarity with gun violence and seeing press and news coverage i don't think they see the same grace and and Inclination to try to be understanding for when those incidents occur in their communities and the way people in their communities who might have been involved in similar
0: incidents are. Framed. Oh, and the perpetrators were people of color. Yes, of course. Yeah.
2: And so that was something that, like, they were they they didn't have like the language. But to they name were picking it, up on. But it. they were picking up on it. They were completely perceptive to it, yeah. and and trying to again. What'd like, you say? <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, I I think that's a uh, truth of the reality we live in, but by no way does it excuse us of of not trying to see the best in everyone still and if we try to strive to live out to be our best selves and we just have to hope that when we do make bad decisions people see the best in us too that's not the way it's been historically but like we can't stoop to the level that it seems like a lot of people sees us as based on what's put out there
0: um i guess ultimately final question here um in incidents like this where you have, I guess for lack of a better term, can be termed a national tragedy, what do you think are educators' responsibility? What do you think you guys should be thinking about in these moments? I guess for me, I I personally believe
2: one of the roles of an educator is to be a steward of civic engagement. And so we have to, as much as, I mean, I'm guilty of, Like I said, not feeling like I did as great a job as I would have liked to this week, but like still being intentional about modeling and creating spaces to engage in difficult conversations because I feel like that's the only space in which we can still learn to grow and understand and find whatever common ground we made to like, you know, not be as divisive and as polarized as we are. Mm -hmm. And I think that, I think that, I think, I I don't know if all educators see that as a role, but I certainly do because I think it's important for our students to never run away from the problems that they're facing. And I think that if we don't
3: be intentional in that, that's something that we're, you know, setting up to potentially do. Yeah, Jason? Yeah, I think <clears throat> I think we oftentimes, we forget that kids have thoughts and ideas and emotions. And as educators, you know, we can we create that space for the conversation. But I think for us, what's most important is that we listen. Mm-hmm. We listen to what they have to say. We listen to their experiences. Um, we listen to their ideas. We, we, we listen to how they would like to see change happen in, uh, in their communities. And then I think as a teacher, then we, we talk with them and you build within them that coalition of, okay, what can you do? And, and you know, provide them those opportunities you know, to, or directions that they can travel in order to contact people that are local uh, that can maybe help in their communities. And Kirsten, a modified question for you. I
0: guess, you know, a week later, a week on, after having done your conversation, what are your reflections? Where do you think it went and what are you going to be doing in the future?
1: Sure. So one thing that became really imp- apparent is we want to make sure that students feel that they have agency to create things in our or to change things in our world that are problematic. Um, and so one thing that we started doing um, is engaging in a service learning project where students right now are thinking about issues that they see in the Kansas City community that they want to actively change. And from that, they're doing um, creating these strategic plans to kind of make those, those things better. And so with that, the student body's going to vote on the plan. Um, to create change that they think would be the most impactful. And we're going to engage in a school-wide service learning project to really show students that they can create change, um, they have agency, and that they can critique the status quo and and make things better now and in the future. So
0: you're saying this was a a direct result of having the conversation post-Las Vegas?
1: Yeah, so this was definitely that, like, we already had planned to do it, but the urgency increased after Mm. this.
0: Uh, Well, we'll end this segment. It's been a pretty heavy segment, I'll say that, but we'll end this segment just um, as I referenced uh, beginning uh, in the intro, I said that there were eight uh, teachers or school staff as victims in Las Vegas um, in that shooting. Uh, These are their names Jennifer Parks, kindergarten teacher from Palmdale, California, Sandy Casey, a special ed teacher from Manhattan Beach, California, Kelsey Meadows, a substitute teacher from Taft, California. Lisa Romero-Muniz, a secretary at a high school in Gallup, New Mexico, Susan Smith, an office manager at a school in Simi Valley, California, Bill Wolf Jr., wrestling coach at an elementary school in Shippensburg, Pennsylvania, Tara Rowe, an educational assistant in Alberta, Canada, and Jessica Klimchuk, an ed assistant and bus driver at a Catholic school in Alberta, Canada as well, victims of the Las Vegas mass shooting. Our podcast today is sponsored by the Kauffman Foundation, learning together with families, educators, entrepreneurs, and innovators to develop quality education that prepares all of Kansas City students for the future of learning and work. Join the conversation by visiting Kauffman.org or on Twitter at KauffmanFDN. All right, well, from one pretty heavy topic to potentially another. There are a couple of stories that have been out there now for a few weeks that we've wanted to address on No Wrong Answers. One's a national story, I guess you could say, and one uh, pretty local one to the Kansas City area. But we see some connections and wanted to get our educators' reactions and opinions about both of them. So first, at an elementary school in suburban Columbia, South Carolina, a fifth grade teacher was put on administrative leave after parents became upset at an assignment, the teacher had given her students as part of a unit on reconstruction. As reported in the New York Times, the assignment read, quote, You are a member of the KKK. Why do you think your treatment of African Americans is justified? End quote. That was the assignment worded towards the students. The uproar really started when a man saw the assignment brought home by his nephew, snapped a photo and posted it to Facebook. A district spokeswoman told the Times, Quote, South Carolina standards for fifth grade require lessons on reconstruction and discriminatory groups, including the KKK. We must teach the standard, but we are taking steps to ensure this particular assignment will never be used again in our schools. Second, a big story the past month here in Kansas City. Several students at a prominent all-girls Catholic school in Kansas City named St. Teresa's Academy shared photos of themselves on Snapchat playing beer pong with cups apparently arranged in the shape of a swastika with the caption, Girls' Night. Another student complained to school administrators and the girls in the picture were reportedly given a one-day in-school suspension called a reflection by school officials. Plus, they were banned from participating in after-school activities for a week and had to write colleges they were applying to to tell them about the incident. In a statement, school officials said, in part, St. Teresa's is committed to providing a respectful and inclusive learning environment for our students. We are committed to providing our students the best educational opportunities we can while balancing justice, mercy, and reconciliation. That was largely in response to alumni who were demanding the offending girls be expelled, but the school's president said that expulsion would not be an appropriate response. There were reports, too, after that, that the girl who had reported the offending girl's pictures on Snapchat was being bullied and taunted at school. And there were more reporting done in the days and weeks afterwards of students of color at the school saying the beer pong incident was just part of a larger pattern of racial insensitivity that they they had experienced at the school. Uh, One senior girl in particular, one of apparently four girls of color in the senior class of 90 said she'd heard jokes about the Ku Klux Klan from her classmates before and had been derided for not wanting to hear the N-word used at school. So a couple of situations here. Let's take the practical questions first. I guess we'll go with the, the first situation with a teacher giving the assignment about the Ku Klux Klan. Um, what's going on here with, with this <laughs> lesson? Do you see any kind of redeeming value in this lesson or what she was trying to go for? And, and then I guess how, what was, what, what is the appropriate response to a colleague like that?
1: So I don't see any—I don't know why that assignment would be given. Um, I think that it, it provides space for students to rationalize and even defend white supremacy. And so that—I that, that I find that deeply problematic. Um, there could have been so many more ways for um, the teacher to go about having students— learn about Reconstruction and the Ku Klux Klan, than to um, take on that perspective and, and defend it.
3: David, Jason. I'm a firm believer. I, I do not believe the teacher had a, a motive to create any type of chaos or dissension within her classroom. And so I'm sitting here really thinking about what, like, what, what was the purpose behind the question. You know what, what? What was what was the edu- educator trying to get at? You know, in terms of that reconstruction, I didn't see South Carolina's curriculum. So as far as the state goes, like when they talk about talking about hate groups, do they talk about it historically and how it's impacted communities and mm-hmm. culture, or do they just bring up the idea that there are hate groups that are out there? And so when I when I hear this question, in my mind, I I think to myself, okay, what she's trying to get at is why does any one group or, or, any individual think that they should be superior to another group of individuals. Uh, when I, when I, when I hear the question, that's, that, that's what I think. Now, I don't, I don't, I don't. I like she, like Kirsten said. I don't know. That probably that wasn't the, that was not the best way to go about asking that question. But in my mind, if I'm just looking at the surface without knowing any facts, um, that's the direction that I think she's trying to go with the question.
2: Yeah, if I'm if I'm inclined to try to see the very best interactions, I agree. It's really hard for me to truthfully see it that way. Um and and I always I I can't help but think through things in this lens, but if you had a lesson where the questions were framed in a similar manner for someone like Nat Turner or the Black Panthers or even like terrorists from 11, right? Like depending on the perspective, you can always try to like legitimize terrible human acts, right? And in a way, you can do, you can do that with I think, doing it, doing it the way the teacher did. But to understand how supremacy and oppression manifests itself, there is worth in examining some of the mindsets and beliefs held by those people who see themselves above others. But <laughs> I think the execution was really, really, really poor. So I guess I, a
0: practical question then is if, you know, a colleague of yours, if this was their assignment, like how would you address it with them? <sighs>
3: i would go to my administrator yeah that's exactly what i would do (laughs) yeah it it depends on the person
2: if it's i would like to think if i was good friends with this person it would never happen but if it did i I think i'd be inclined to like name what i saw was wrong with it in a much more constructive way to try to maybe attempt to address what they were attempting to address
0: if i didn't know them well i would definitely go to my administrator because
2: i No, that could
0: create a— Well, administrators perspective, I mean, she was—the teacher in this case was put on leave. In fact, the New York Times did reach out to her. I think um, based on the article I read, her husband answered the phone and said that they weren't going to be giving any comments. Um, I don't even know if she's still on leave. I was looking around and couldn't find any kind of update to this story. It happened nearly a month ago. Um, but so she was put on leave from an administrator's perspective. I, I guess within your building, if this were to happen, uh, you know how would you try to like maintain the culture of your staff and and try to recover from this?
1: Yeah. so I think just naming it first of all like as soon as possible um, to this like having conversation with the staff about you know the situation at hand and then um, I think since we're in, at the high school level, even with the students just talking about the reality of the situation and. um and trying to navigate that with students, I think that we ha- kids are going to wonder. We have to create that space to talk about that. Um, and also with parents, either sending out a letter or something addressing it, um, and just also talking about why it wasn't appropriate. I think we have to name that, too, so that there's no confusion as to why we made the decision that was made.
0: Yeah, um, The second scenario with the, the girls at the private Catholic school who were caught on Snapchat playing... Um, what appeared to be beer pong, with uh, cups arranged in the shape of a swastika. Um, there was an outcry at this particular school that those students should be expelled, should they have
3: been expelled. I, this goes back to the idea of, of, of St. Teresa's and their their foundational elements of, of looking at, mm-hmm. I mean, thinking about how they approach the moral and the ethical uh, values that they try to instill in these I mean, uh, should say for people who problems. don't live in the Kansas City area, it's, it's a very... It's an elite private yeah, school. It's
0: been around since the 1860s. Yeah. It's a long-standing, Catholic. Yeah, okay. a long-standing Catholic school.
3: Um, you know, I went to Catholic schools, uh, 112. And so there's always that, they talk about that day of internal reflection. And I, I, I thought it was really interesting that they, that in the article, they gave them an in-school reflection and not an in-school suspension. Well, I think they called it a reflection. I think many, yeah. many people interpreted it as a suspension. But so, but, but as from an administrative <laughs> point of view, and from a counselor's point of view, when when those when that first semester comes around, and those guidance counselors have to report whether or not that kid has been suspended mm. or not,
0: they don't right? have to say it.
3: They don't have to mm. say it now. Hmm. And I and so there, there were there. There's a lot of ways to look at the.
0: So you, I mean, yeah. So. Great analysis. Yeah, I, thank you. you know, I'm not—I I'm not, did, not, did not go to Catholic school, so I did, yeah. not, I did not know some of those things. But um, is that an appropriate response, then, to this scenario?
3: Was it handled— Ex- Expulsion, I think, is too much, I'll be honest with you. I, I think that depending on how they—again, ha- it depends on how they handled it in-house. For me, they would have—we would probably would have had the priest come over. We would have had a sit-down. I mean, I'm serious. Like, we would yeah, have yeah. a full-day discussion. Um, you almost would have had a retreat— uh, you would have really looked back into what are the um, ideal Catholic principles that, that you have been raised upon throughout your whole entire life. Um, what can we learn from this? What can you do now going out into the community in terms of community service, maybe going to local elementary schools in the area and, and having those girls go forth and do community service to talk about the wrongs that they committed and why you know, putting those cups in the shape of a swastika um, is, is wrong in today's society and wrong in general. Yeah. yeah. Kirsten, how would you, these were your kids?
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I always think about what's the intended outcome and by expelling kids, will we, will they learn what was not okay about their actions and moving forward? Will they continue to like perpetuate that? Um, and so I think that I wouldn't I would agree I would not expel the students, but I would have them do research as to like why this is not OK. What are the research like behind um, anti-Semitism and like white supremacy, the Holocaust, all these things. Um, and they would need to present it in some way um, to the student body and talk about like their journey and learning about um, how hurtful. Um, and dangerous these types of um, symbols like creating these are um, and also promoting it on social media. You know,
0: I can, I can imagine a lot of listeners listening and thinking, no way. These girls knew <laughs> the, the gravity of their actions. They knew the depth of, of pain and hurt that they were going to cause. And still they did it, and they did it in a very jocular, kind of open way. There's no way they deserve to not be expelled. Um, and again, just taking the voice of a, of a listener who might be thinking that, Um, what's your response to that
1: yeah so I would say that they knew the impact of their actions that they knew how serious um, like from a historical perspective um, like their actions were and even like the implications it has today I don't know if they would be promoting it in such a way on social media Mm -hmm. um, knowing that that could um, be seen by so many different people Um, I really think They're, like, missing the understanding of the significance of and, like, the history and how it impacts people who um, are non-white, for example. Um, I just think it's a really good teachable moment for them, but they also need to understand the gravity of it. So I appreciate the fact that they had to go to colleges, the colleges they applied to, and let them know about what happened um, because they could face some really real natural consequences as a result.
0: David, what are you thinking over there on the
2: end of the table? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I would agree with um, both of you. I would not expelled the students also. I think they, the students definitely know what they're doing is not okay, but I think you always have to anchor down to the fact that if they were even capable of doing something like what they did, then they really did not understand the gravity of their actions. And and as educators, it's our our role to make a learning opportunity out of it. And I think that when you, you try to approach things in a constructive way, as difficult as it is, if you really are intentional about the follow through and the things you have them do to kind of reconcile and try to i guess make right you know what they did um, i think you can do that in a way that's meaningful and has a better net outcome than expelling them and possibly not having them learn anything from
0: it at all yeah so the question that's been rallying rallying around in my head and uh, you know our producer Matt as well we the two of us have been talking about this and it, you know it kind of we talked about it a little bit after the events in Charlottesville which now almost 2 months ago um, that there seems to be, and I guess there always has been, but maybe it's more visible now, an element of society that is a lot just more hateful and, and hard to, to hard to reason with. Um, not saying that these girls or are, are this, this teacher is part of that element, um, but it displays, like, certain characteristics of that. Um, so, like, how do you reconcile that <laughs> as educators if you have kids in your class or teachers in your building or kids in your building um, who... Well, may ascribe to, like, completely vile, hateful beliefs. Um, and, and you're still—I mean, I, I'm getting from all of you that you still feel a responsibility compelled to, like, educate and to— um, but how do you educate that? <laughs> I guess—I guess for me,
2: um, there has to be a level of nuance that's established because I feel like when in light of, you know, some of the heinous incidents that have occurred, we see white supremacy as exclusively those types of incidents— but there's a there's a subversiveness to it that exists that I don't think a lot of people recognize, right? The, the pure aversion to having these types of conversations, especially by some of my white peers, comes from a place of knowing that the, the collateral damage to them is much less than some of their friends and educators of color because, again, they had the luxury of avoiding that conversation, mm-hmm. right? You can call it privilege, and call it whatever you want, but there is... There's an element of supremacy there because it lets the status quo exist, which ultimately allows for things to occur that have been happening, right, which are not okay. Um, and so I think, I think that's like the first and foremost thing. I think there are those really terrible examples that we have to examine, but there's also lots of micro moments that I can think of that occur all the time that, you know, um, I think make it a burden. Um, as a person on you though, on, 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 on to, an educator of color yeah, yes yeah, definitely to, to try to have those conversations which are like counterparts kind of examining and making sure that when they work with students especially in urban settings right trying to um, to your point listen and leverage their experiences and meet them where they are rather than operating operating in a way under the assumption that everything that they've been taught growing up their entire lives is right because that's
0: the norm. That's yeah. the typical narrative. Stay tuned. We will do Kids These Days after the credits. This episode of No Wrong Answers is brought to you by the Kaufman Foundation. No Wrong Answers retains total editorial control and what our teachers say are their personal opinions, which may not reflect the official policies of the schools and districts they work for. Like us at Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Just search for the No Wrong Answers podcast by Fountain City Frequency. When you go to our Facebook page, log on, again, to that shared community feedback, Google Doc, if you want to give us feedback. Find us at Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Once you find us, subscribe and leave us a review. It helps. There are no other podcasts like ours giving you a teacherly take on the world. If you've enjoyed the conversation you've listened to just now, subscribe, leave us a review, and keep the conversation going. Now, kids these days, what is trending among your kids? Kirsten, what are your kids into?
1: So my kids are really into creating names for their clicks. And so they have really silly ones, like the Squirrel Group. And so they... Um, they're, they're,
0: like they're groups of friends. Yeah, they're, they're groups of okay. friends,
1: exactly. But it, they're really inclusive. So if a, a student, another student wants to join, they're always welcome.
0: Okay, so I could be a part of the, the
1: Squirrel Group. You could be a Squirrel, squirrel group. Okay, yes. all
0: right. Uh, <laughs> uh, David, what are your kids into?
2: Uh, I always struggle with this one. I was thinking about what I saw a lot of my kids is doing this weekend. This one's kind of silly. But like also they're high schoolists. Like, why are they doing this? But like, I see a bunch of kids, like, smacking the belongings of their peers' as items to the ground. Like literally like whether it be food or like textbooks. Like I've s i have I think I saw like fifteen incidents this week where just student random since we just like around just like smacked someone's textbook to the ground and like you know had a pop tart and he smacked it to the ground and like fell and crumbled out. Like just, It sounds messy. Yeah, it's really, oh, yeah. It's really stupid. <laughs> uh, but um, it's not malicious. I mean, in, in, I, mean in I think that the joke be, is to be playful yeah, okay, but right, like right. if that's someone's snack and Right. You're if to it's eat my Pop Tart, yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm upset, you, you know Salty, um, but but yeah. So I, I, that's that's the best I can come up with. I've been seeing a lot of things getting smacked.
3: Uh, Jason, what are your kids into? Well, I was just around my nine-year-old niece this weekend, and what I noticed is as she was going to school on Friday, um, as I was sick, uh, my uh, uh, all her friends and herself had Herschel backpacks, and Herschel little. It's a supply company. It's like, and hey. they had like little. Uh, what is it? Herschel. Okay. So this is like a little trend in maybe Northwest Indiana, but they all had like Herschel apparel, and so they had the backpack and the matching lunchbox, and I thought that was mm-hmm. really interesting. Has it made a way to, into any of your schools? Well, I have a Herschel? Herschel duffel bag, but uh, <laughs> I'm not even familiar with the brand. Yeah, <laughs> so I thought that was really interesting.
0: You never know what you're going to find out on kids these days, Dave. You've got to go out and get you some new school supplies. Well, thanks to our teachers this week Kirsten Brown, David Persley, Jason Staliga. Thanks, as always, to Matt Hodap, who produces the podcast. Thank you to Casey UR893, Kansas City Public Radio, where we tape. I'm Kyle Palmer, and remember, kids, be nice to your teachers.